let's fire up the network, see if we can get a program going here. In fact, let's call it midday, for lack of any better term. I mean, after all, that's about as descriptive as it can be. Except for the fact that we just got oodles and gobs. Maybe we should call this oodles and gobs of information. That works. <laughs> okay, well, let's try it one day. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll do a focus group on it. And welcome to Oodles and Gobs of Information on your rural radio network station. There's Susan Littlefield right over there. And uh, you're munching on popcorn today? Yeah, you know, you talk about oodles and gobs, it makes me think of, of food. My uh, my lovely niece is in cheerleading, so she conned her aunt into buying three buckets of popcorn that aren't very big for like 50-some bucks. i got to think the markup on popcorn's pretty good. Oh, yeah, but I'm checking to see. It's got to be Nebraska popcorn, so. Okay, all right, you check on that, and we'll... we'll you, you should send us some of that popcorn to get a chance here. I think we're okay. running out of donuts back there in the back. Uh, All right, I'll work on it. Okay, Susan's here to uh, tell us what the uh, ag gang has been up to. What is it, Susan? You know, it is that time of year where parents are looking at their 4-H'ers going, what are you going to do for the fair? And Shaylee's going to have something coming up at 1219 with Carla, talking about some upcoming clinics for 4-H'ers and FFA kids, but more importantly, their parents as well, with the end of the month as they get going to summer projects. So we'll get more at that at 1219. At 1245, if you're a beginning farmer or rancher and you're looking at some financial options, you might want to look over to your local farm service agency. We'll get more with Alex on that. And then at 117, Clay talks to John Deere. They've got a new sprayer lab, but it's at Iowa State University. So we'll get more details on that. All right. Very good. Thanks, Susan. Appreciate you being with Thank us. Thank you. And Jason Jorgensen is here on sports. What kind of oodles and gobs of information have you, sir? Talk some Husker basketball. Coach Tim Miles had a press conference yesterday. Partially in that press conference, he announced his new assistant coach, Armand Gates, who uh, sounds like this guy is an up-and-comer. He might be able to help the Huskers with some recruiting down the line. It's it's an odd story on how he ended up in Nebraska because just last month he accepted the associate head coaching job at Florida, and then he wasn't even there a month, and then he's skipping out on the Gators to come join Nebraska. Now, this same situation happened with the Huskers about a year ago. Assistant coach came in, was in here, I don't know, two, three weeks, got a better offer to join Bobby Hurley at Arizona State and bolted, so... So you're thinking the assistant at uh, Nebraska was a better paying gig than Florida? I don't know. That's hard but, to know. But uh, he comes highly recommended. Okay. And along with uh, the press conference yesterday, Coach Miles was asked what he thinks of James Palmer and Isaac Copeland. They're testing the NBA waters. We'll get Miles' thoughts on if he thinks those two would come back for Nebraska. Also, we'll talk some Nebraska Creighton baseball. Should be a beautiful night for right. baseball tonight in the Big O as the Blue Jays try to sweep that three-game series against the Big Red. That should be a pretty packed stadium, I should think. Well, there'll be some folks there. I would think. All right. Bob Brogan, what oodles and gobs of business news do you have? Stocks are lower at midday, and the price of crude oil is falling ahead of a White House announcement on the Iran nuclear deal. All eyes are focused on that and what President Trump Plans to do on that. Um, lots of folks aren't weighing in with bets or anything. But uh, also, U.S. employers advertised 6.6 million open jobs in March, the most on records dating back to December 2000. All right. We're just kidding. This is Midday on the Rural Radio Network. 
Ag Weather, and we bring Paul Perkins in to take a look at it for us and about this uh, smattering of showers that we're seeing. That's kind of the front edge of the change, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. Front's moving through uh, central sections of Nebraska and central Kansas right now, and it's kicking up a little bit of light rain in northeast Nebraska and north-central Nebraska from about oh, the northeast corner down to around Elgin and Spalding and gradually moving off towards the east. All right, and this Ag Weather brought to you by Coolman Repair. Right behind that front, we do have temperatures mainly in the upper 60s to low 70s and much of the west and central. But as you head towards eastern Nebraska and Kansas, ahead of that front, especially along and east of Highway 281, temperatures already in the upper 70s to the low 80s. And we could see a few locations approach 90 just ahead of that front. We're up to 82 already in Wahoo. It's 80 and Imperial. Today going to stay unseasonably warm despite that weak front moving through the region and turning our winds to the northwest. It looks like that front currently from about Norfolk down to the Aurora and Hastings area as it moves off towards the east and southeast. Few thunderstorms are possible with the passage of this front late in the afternoon and evening, mainly over the central and east. Or if you're along and east of Highway 281, there is a good chance, there is a chance at least of some of these storms being strong or severe, but not expecting a big severe weather outbreak. We'll be in between systems for tomorrow with some warm and dry weather. Tomorrow night through Saturday, though, looking fairly unsettled with multiple chances of rain and thunderstorms. Tomorrow night, the thunderstorms expected to develop over the high plains, and if they hold together, track across the central plains in the overnight. That next chance of thunderstorms moving through late Thursday into Friday with the passage of a cold front. Friday night will bring our best chance of rain and thunderstorms as that front lingers to the southeast. Abundant moisture expected to develop the rain along and north of the front in the overnight Friday night. Rain chances will linger some into Saturday, but right now it looks like Mother's Day should be dry. Behind that front, though, daytime temperatures will cool to as low as the 60s over the weekend before a warm-up for next week. But for much of this week, we are looking at above-normal temperatures and primarily in the 80s up until about Thursday. In our long-term forecast, temperatures for Nebraska, Kansas, and nearly all of the U.S. will be warmer than normal Sunday through May 21st, headed towards a warm outlook here for much of the, nearly all of the nation. Once again, Nebraska and Kansas included that. The lone exception going to be early on for next week when temperatures in west and central Nebraska and in northwest Kansas. Sunday in the first few days of next week will be more like seasonal levels, but all in all, warmer than normal temperatures. Near normal to below normal rainfall is the forecast for Nebraska and Kansas Sunday through the 21st. So temperatures at 7 this morning at 4 inches down were as low as the low to mid-50s along the west of a line from O'Neill to Broken Bow and Imperial, but Nearly all locations with soil temperatures right now in the upper 50s to low 60s. That warm air helping with that warm-up. Soil temperatures as high as the mid-60s in south-central Kansas. Weather factors driving the markets include moderate to heavy rain targeting the western and northern Midwest and a minimal rain benefit for central Brazil. Warm, dry weather has helped with corn and soybean planting and germination. More than a third of the intended corn acreage is planted in Illinois and Indiana. That contrasts with less than 10% completed in Minnesota and the Dakotas, where rain continues to delay the field work. The weather will continue to be favorable for planting and early row crop development in the south and east portions of the Midwest, while rain will slow things down even more over the western and northern Midwest. Warm air will cover much of the U.S. until Thursday, and then cool air will start to engulf the northern U.S. on Thursday and expand further south during the weekend across the plains and much of the west. Northern Plains planting progress will improve this week. While the weather is warmer in South Dakota, 39% of the spring wheat is planted. 
Farther south, though, warm, dry weather maintaining severe stress on filling winter wheat. In Oklahoma, the wheat rated 68% very poor to poor. Brazil's central crop areas expect light to moderate rain this week. That rain will offer some benefit to the second crop corn. The onset of drier and hotter weather this past month, though, reduced the prospects for production. All right, and your ag weather, of course, brought to you by Coolman Repair. Uh, Paul, how does it look for anything that gets a little bit more toward the severe side the next day or two? Maybe a few instances of some severe weather today, but not expected in big severe weather outbreak. Looks like it's going to cool down, and by the end of the week when we do see our best rain chances, so... The overall prospect's probably not going to be too high for any major severe weather outbreak for us, maybe off towards south and east locations later in the week. All right. Well, we'll keep a close eye on the Storm Center coverage is brought to you by Skeeter Barnes, best beef and barbecue around, locations in Kearney and Columbus, and by American Family Insurance, serving Lexington and Kearney. And when you need weather anytime, krvn.com. held at the Capitol yesterday revealed details about the governor's latest trade mission. I'm Shaley Peters joining you now for a midday look at Ag News here on the Rural Radio Network. Alex Wojcicki has the story. Shortly after proclaiming May as Beef Month in Nebraska, Governor Pete Ricketts announced that he will be traveling to Mexico in August for his next trade mission. His reasoning? Mexico is our second largest agricultural export market here in North America and in the entire world. Our largest products that we export to Mexico include corn, soybeans, and beef. We export agricultural products about $6.4 billion every year. Mexico accounts for almost a billion of that. Rickett says that ag representatives who are interested in attending the trade mission should contact the Department of Agriculture. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Alex Wojcicki. And in other ag news, the American Soybean Association, along with other agriculture groups this week, sent a letter to President Donald Trump encouraging support for the renewable fuel standard and, in turn, rural America. The letter praises the president's April 12th comments on addressing regulatory barriers that prevent year-round sales of higher ethanol blends and also requests that the Environmental Protection Agency commit to the statutory level for advanced biofuels for 2019 and provide significant growth for biomass-based diesel in 2020 to address lost gallons on advanced biofuels. We urge you to follow through on the needed regulatory fix for higher blends and ensuring the volumes of renewable fuel as the solution to address farmer and refiner concerns without further undercutting the RFS, such as imposing a RIN cap and causing additional harm to the farm economy, the letter states. The U.S. Department of Agriculture projects 2018 net farm income will decline by $4.3 billion, resulting in the lowest net farm income in nominal dollars since 2006. RFS creates new markets for farmers and new jobs in rural America, and as such, farmers depend on the president's continued support. And you can find the full letter by visiting ruralradio.com. And Nebraska's farmland values saw a decline for the second consecutive year after decades of increases. The Nebraska Department of Revenue released a report showing that agricultural land values fell by almost 2.8%, down about 0.15% from last year, which marked the first decline after nearly 25 years of increases. Residential and commercial property values increased this year by 5.4% and 6.9% respectively. Experts said the farmland property values follow the price decline for corn, soybeans, beef, and other commodities over the past few years. 
It's a reflection of the farm economy right now, said Jay Rempe, an agricultural economist with the Nebraska Farm Bureau. The decline can be seen as a rebalancing. Eric Thompson, director of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Bureau of Business Research, said farmland values were at unusually high levels early this decade, he said. However, a farmer north of Kearney, Craig Weber, thinks that the modest drop in farmland values won't bring extensive property tax relief. It's going to take a lot of 2.7% to get our property taxes where they're a little more reasonable, Weber said. He also added that the agriculture industry is cyclical and that we'll be headed back to more profitable times. Governor Pete Ricketts proposed reforming agricultural land valuations last year to lower property taxes on farmers and ranchers, said Taylor Gage, the governor's spokesman. And he added the governor has continued to fight for property tax relief in spite of the failure of senators to adopt his proposal. Farmland values took the biggest hit in Hitchcock County, where they dropped by more than 10%. You can find more ag news, audio and video anytime by visiting ruralradio.com. That's a quick midday look at your ag news. I'm Shaley Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. A chance for 4-H and FFA kids as well as their parents to get out and learn a little bit more about their horse or beef projects headed into this summer. I'm Shaley Peters. Joining you now on the Rural Radio Network, our guest today to visit about this is Carla Jenkins. She's with the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Panhandle Research and Extension Center. And Carla, you're hosting these starting at the end of the month. So timely as kids get out and start to get very busy with their summer projects Start off by just telling us about what you're doing with these clinics. Okay. So the clinics that we're having are really geared for both the uh, 4-H and FFA student and their parents. And so it's actually going to be focused on beef cattle and on horses. And so Kathy Anderson is our horse specialist in Lincoln, and she has agreed to come out and do this series with me. We are going to give some talks, nutrient needs of our beef cattle herd and when we're overfeeding and when we're underfeeding and and helping them understand a little bit more about the nutrient requirements of the heifer versus the mature cow and gestation versus lactation. And we're going to visit a little bit about body condition scoring. And we're going to try to see if we can evaluate our operations and see if we're maybe overfeeding uh, in some areas and underfeeding in others. And if we can fix that, then hopefully we can improve our profitability um, and our overall efficiency of our programs. And then we're going to talk to the 4-H kids and FFA kids a little bit about finishing their animal. And then Kathy's going to talk to the 4-H kids um, some basic nutrition and management information on their horses that will actually apply to their level 2 and 3 4-H horse project advancements. And so that's going to be great for them. But then she's also going to address our ranchers that maybe work their horse on the ranch all week in, in a, on a ranch or a feedlot and then come the weekend they hit a jackpot or a rodeo or a show or a barrel race or something and so um, she's going to talk about some of the nutritional needs of an animal that works that hard all the time and some of the digestive upsets that we can have in those situations and how we can manage them a little better to try to eliminate or at least minimize some of those issues that those horses have. So uh, we feel like this time of year parents just haul kids everywhere and it's just their whole life is about what the kids are into and so we just thought we would try to combine a program where the 
where the parents got some information that's valuable to them for maintaining their operations, and then the kids got an opportunity to uh, improve what they're doing, but also to view their parents as lifelong learners and understand that there's always some things that we can learn and things we can do better. Now for the details. When are you hosting these? Do people need to RSVP? Is there a cost involved? Okay. So we're going to start in McCook on May 29th. Um, That will be at the Red Willow Fairgrounds. And then North Platte, May 30th, which will be at the Snyder Building, um, which is right across from the West Central Research and Extension Center right there on State Farm Road. And on the 31st, we'll be in Valentine at the Peppermill Restaurant. It will help us if you RSVP to either Red Willow County Extension, Lincoln County, or Cherry County Extension, depending on which location you choose to go. We certainly are going to take walk-ins. And so these will all start at 6 o'clock in the evening at, at every location. And there will be a meal. And the meal will be $10. We'll ask $10 just to cover that. And then um, and then we'll have our meeting over dinner and hopefully have some good interaction and discussion on these topics. All right. Thanks so much, Carla Jenkins, University of Nebraska-Lincoln Panhandle Research and Extension Center, talking about their upcoming clinics. Of course, for more information on this, visit ruralradio.com. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network. Let's check sports now with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, Armand Gates has been hired as Nebraska's new assistant basketball coach. That's less than a month after he was named associate head coach at Florida. Florida coach Mike White had announced the addition of Gates to his staff in early April. But media outlets started reporting last week that Gates would leave the Gators and head to Nebraska. Gates says this is a better fit under new head coach Tim Miles in the situation that he had in Florida. Now, Coach Miles yesterday also addressed the status of players James Palmer Jr. and Isaac Copeland, who've been working out for several NBA teams this spring. And Miles was asked if he thinks they'll be back next year for the Huskers. Everything's 50-50 to me, yes or no, right? <laughs> and so um, I'd say it's more likely they come back than they go. And and I'll, I will encourage them. You know, I've kind of got to the standard of it used to be just a first-round pick. You know, if you could go in the first round where it was guaranteed contract and it was a three-year deal like it, it was, that makes sense for a kid, you know, or anything like that. I think they really think that we can have a good basketball team if they come back. Now, Palmer and Copeland will have until May 30th to make a decision whether they will be in the draft or will return to school. The Husker baseball team returns to the Diamond tonight as they visit TD Ameritrade Park in Omaha for the finale of their three-game season series against Creighton. Of course, the Blue Jays have owned things so far, taking the first two games. First pitch tonight in Omaha is set for 6.30. Now that the Cavaliers have completed their second straight four-game sweep of the Raptors, they'll wait to see if the 76ers can come back from being down three games tonight against Boston. The Sixers took a step in that direction last night, avoiding elimination with a 103-92 win over the Celtics. They still face daunting odds heading into Game 5, trailing 3-1. No NBA team has ever won a series after falling down 3-0. Now tonight, the Rockets and Warriors can wrap up their series in the Western Conference semifinals. The Jazz are hoping they can recreate the success they had against Houston in Game 2 when they led by as many as 19 points and eventually were able to hang on to a 116-108 win. In baseball, the Red Sox and Yankees have the top two records in the majors heading into a clash for first place in the AL East. Following their throwback brawl in Boston last month, the teams square off on Yankee Stadium soil for the first time this year. 
And the Cubs have put struggling right-hander Hugh Darvish on the 10-day disabled list because of the flu. Now, the move was made retroactive Friday. The 31-year-old Darvish has not pitched well for the Cubs. He's 0-3 with an ERA of 6 after finalizing a $126 million six-year deal back in February. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Mostly clear in Nebraska tonight, though a chance of thunderstorms in both the central and east. I'm Dave Schroeder. A woman died at an Omaha hospital after crashing her motorcycle in Norfolk. 53-year-old Teresa Weiss died Monday. She'd been thrown from her motorcycle Sunday afternoon after losing control of it on private property and accelerating into and across the street before crashing. She wasn't wearing a helmet. Weiss was treated at the scene and then flown to Creighton University Medical Center, Bergen Mercy. Nebraska's move-over laws received a big upgrade as a result of this recent legislative session, and drivers need to be aware. Rose White, Public Affairs Director for AAA Nebraska, talks about how this bill became law and what it means for drivers. At first, it was a legislative bill advanced to an amendment that was tagged on to another bill that did make it through and basically was introduced by officials representing waste management companies. Now, what they wanted to happen is a move-over law that would apply to their workers in residential areas. And so motorists are now required to move over or slow down when approaching utility vehicles, waste management personnel, tow truck drivers, any of those that are providing service in residential or roadway areas. White says the effect of the law is now that motorists are required to move over for nearly every vehicle stopped on the side of the road. The Millard School District in Omaha is sticking by its pro-abstinence approach on sex education. On Monday night, the school board unanimously approved instructional materials for health, which includes sex education for grades 5, 6, and 8, and for high school students. Some parents had urged the board to adopt a comprehensive policy on sex education, such as the one employed by Omaha Public Schools. That district's approach encourages abstinence, but also teaches about contraception, abortion, gender identity, and sexual orientation. Board member Amanda McGill-Johnson says she would have preferred materials on gender identity and sexual orientation had been included in the Millard approach. The Millard District classes will discuss contraception, pregnancy, and disease with an emphasis on abstinence. Attorneys for four public school districts suing Kansas are arguing that a new school funding law is as much as $1.5 billion short of providing adequate education funding. The attorneys filed legal arguments Monday with the Kansas Supreme Court against a new Kansas law that phases in a $548 million increase in spending on public schools over five years. The court plans to hold a hearing on May 22nd. Current radar plus your 10-day forecast anytime. Just tap the app or click weather at krvn.com. From the News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. The future of Nebraska agriculture is in the hands of beginning farmers and ranchers across the state. And while they're looking to jumpstart their operations, a lot of them seek financial assistance but may not even know where to begin. Good afternoon on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Alex Wojcicki, joined on the phone by Paul from the Nebraska Farm Service Agency to answer these questions that farmers and ranchers may have. Paul, we met at the beginning Farmers and Ranchers panel a few weeks ago on UNL East Campus. There was a lot of information in not a lot of time. So 
I'll just begin by asking the question, what programs are offered by Nebraska FSA for beginning farmers and ranchers? Thanks, Alex. Yeah, I really appreciated being part of that panel and putting out there what FSA can provide to be specifically beginning farmers, but all beginning farmers and ranchers. So specifically what Nebraska FSA does from a farm loan perspective is support those beginning in farmer ranchers or those farmer ranchers that need assistance to get them to the point where they can qualify for commercial credit, whether it be from your Main Street Bank or your farm credit institution. So beginning farmers and ranchers um, line up directly with our mission, and and we love supporting them. So we support them through our loan programs in different ways. One is for our direct loan program where you actually work with the FSA loan official themselves. You go into their office, you get the money directly from us. And within that direct loan program, we have all the options basically you would need to start or build up your farm or ranch. So whether that be through a farm ownership program where you're uh, acquiring real estate or making capital improvements to real estate, or whether it be through an operating program where you're maybe purchasing that first set of breeding livestock or the machinery equipment you need, or just getting that yearly loan for your annual input expenses. We also offer microloan programs, which is kind of abbreviated application program for loans that are $50,000 or less. So if you have a, a unique, smaller request, we can we can kind of streamline the application process with our microloan program. In addition to our direct loan programs, we also have guaranteed loan programs where FSA would work directly with your farm credit institution or your Main Street Bank or your local banking institution, and in order to uh, help absorb some of the risk and and help entice them to make the loan to a beginning farmer or rancher, we would guarantee some of that loan so that uh, the lender and, and partner with that lender to, to get uh, that credit to where it needs to go to those beginning farmers and ranchers. Are there any eligibility requirements that need to be met to be considered for these loans? Yes, there's a handful of eligibility requirements, nothing that you would be surprised about, I would imagine. The big three that I always like to cover with people before they start is because we're a government-supported agency, one is that is we call it the test of credit, that since our loans are supported by the government, we want to make, and our goal and our mission is to get you into that farm credit institution or get you into that Main Street Bank, we don't compete with them. So if you could get your loan from one of those services, then we would let you go get that. The other one is that you have to be the operator. Our mission is to have farmers and ranchers in Nebraska actually out there being the operator. So um, you'll be the one providing the day-to-day labor and management when you get a loan with FSA. And the other one I like to cover specifically for farm ownership loans, this one, this requirement, is that you have participated in the business operations of a farm or ranch throughout the last 10 years. Now that doesn't mean you necessarily have had an ownership interest, but that you've been making management decisions. So we'd like to see you have that kind of experience. If you have military leadership, maybe some non-farm or non-egg management or secondary education, we can substitute out one of those years. But those are the big three that I like to cover with people when they're considering to apply. And Paul, the goal of starting a farmer ranch is obviously to have a positive cash flow. But with the low commodity prices we're seeing and high land prices, high property taxes, it can be incredibly difficult to generate a positive cash flow, and even for experienced farmers and ranchers. Does FSA offer any educational training or financial training on how to make those ends meet? 
Yes, FSA works with a lot of partner institutions, whether it be Nebraska Extension or some other things. And, and if you would look on the Nebraska Beginning Farmer Network, we work with a lot of those partner institutions to provide the financial resources. We also consider ourselves a supervised source of credit. So we work closely. Um, if you do have questions on filling out a financial statement, developing your cash flow plan, what it needs to look like, we want to work one-on-one with you in those situations. The other component of is that borrower training is part of our program. It's required for everybody, but if you've had the training already, maybe through college courses or you've taken similar courses where our training would be redundant, we can waive that. But otherwise, if you feel like you would benefit from financial training and, and, and FSA agrees that, that financial training or production training would be a benefit to your operation, we have a list of third-party vendors that we work with, both nation- there could be nationally and, and potentially locally vendors that we provide training with. Paul, do you have any other information you'd like to give? Yes. I mean, if anybody just has any interest or they just want to do some of their own research, two websites I would recommend is fsa.usda.gov and newfarmers.usda.gov. And always work with your local offices. That's the best place to start. And it answers the most questions the fastest is to work with your local offices. Call them, make an appointment, set up a meeting, and they're always glad to help. That was Paul Gunther from the Nebraska FSA giving us that information about financial assistance for beginning farmers and ranchers. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. And we move next to getting comments about the livestock futures trade today from Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities. Joe. Yeah, turning around Tuesday for uh, for the cattle, at least in the front end, uh, pretty good rally uh, by the uh, June contract, which uh, was up a dollar twelve, um, signifying that uh, hey, maybe we are uh, a little bit too uh, uh, wide on our our discount. So, pretty good recovery there. Uh, cutouts continue to be uh, higher and. Uh, uh, cattle continue to trade at uh, quite a bit better than what the June contract is uh, showing at this point. So, pretty good rally and a lot of bull spreading uh, throughout the day. Uh, and the feeders also, where they uh, had the front two months close higher, but just barely, but still higher. So, a little recovery from yesterday um, and still signifying that, uh, uh, that the cattle market is still awaiting to see the uh, uh, supposed uh, rush of cattle come, and, which hasn't happened. In the hogs, pretty good day. There's where uh, we were green all the way across, uh, higher all the way through. Cutouts uh, have been sharply higher. Product movement been pretty fair, led by uh, apparently the bellies and the uh, hams, so definitely coming into uh, uh, a little bit stronger feel in the uh, hog market and cash has been uh, steadily climbing sometimes not quite as good thanks joe joe teal great plains commodities you can call them at 800-328-0134 this is the rural radio network 
John Deere is partnering with Iowa State University to build a first-of-its-kind sprayer technology lab, not only to help train students on the future of agriculture and spray technology methods, but to also help John Deere innovate and design future sprayers. We're going to get an exclusive look at it right here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Joining us from John Deere to talk to us about the project is Cindy Smiley. She's the communication manager for John Deere Ag and Turf for the North American Division. And Cindy, we thank you for joining us today. As we start, give us a brief overview of what the lab is. Sure, sure, Clay. Uh, John Deere plans to construct a new 33,000-square-foot facility at the Iowa State University Research Park. Now, this new facility will be a design and test lab for agriculture spraying and application technology. And compared to other spray labs currently in the country, this one looks to set itself apart. How will it be different than these other sprayer labs? Yeah, yeah, Clay, great question there. And, and we're really focused on the benefits that we can bring to our customers from investing in a spray lab. And, and our goal is to enhance product design and improve our development cycle. And, and specifically, what's going to make this different is with it being a lab that has indoor capacity to run 24 hours, seven days a week if needed. That's going to allow us to really commit in to innovation and have a facility to allow us to continue to test with the goal of getting uh, market-demanded innovation out in a quality manner as quick as what we can. Another great benefit to this facility is because it's located in Iowa. It's got close proximity to land that we can use to test as well. So having the ability to test inside for long periods of time and then when Mother Nature allows, get out into the land and to test in real environments in close proximity to the lab will, will just be a great benefit. And, you, and Cindy, you talk about how this lab being state-of-the-art being so large that it's able to operate and really be able to get in and refine. Do you see this really helping John Deere create new and future sprayers refine its current designs and models? And do you, how much time do you think this will kind of help save over that design and test period? Clay, our goal is to bring innovations into the agriculture market as quality but as quickly as what we can. Um, we all know in agriculture the global harvest initiative around 10 billion people by 2050, meaning that we have got to advance our rates of innovation to allow our customers or, or the, the farmers to really meet the demand of the world. And by being able to innovate faster and test and, de and develop in this new lab, we believe that we can partner with Iowa State, with our customers, to accomplish this big task. Final question, Cindy. How do you see this John Deere-Iowa State University partnership helping the university students and John Deere together? Yeah. You know, the, the partnership is really rooted in, in, in collaboration. And if we look at what the, the new facility and the continued partnership will do, it will allow us to collaborate on our expertise, on research and development opportunities, partnering with, with John Deere employees, Iowa State University, student workforce, to bring more innovative, fully tested, and, and well-designed products into our market. That again, Cindy Smiley, Communication Manager for John Deere North American Ag and Turf Division. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.
Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. Let's talk with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Yes, there's a lot of focus on weather and maybe some other factors, but outside influence today has been rather prominent, hasn't it? Yeah, we have three stories right now going on that uh, I wouldn't say really affect grains uh, directly. A lot of the, the Iran certainly doesn't, but they're going to have uh, ramifications, I think, for how the market's trading here uh, longer run. So starting first with China, um, now talk that President Trump is going to be having a conversation with uh, President Xi, um, and the vice president of China is going to make his way to the U.S. over the next week. So it sounds like there might be some more dialogue in, in, in the case, which I think has spurred some short covering in the soybeans. Second story is the obviously Iran deal. President Trump is talking right now uh, that uh, the Iran deal has fallen apart. He's uh, essentially uh, taking it off the table and announcing further sanctions. We saw a rumor this morning that he was going to stay in the deal, and the market broke hard on crude. Now we've essentially retraced all of that only off about a dollar an hour. We were off almost $3 earlier. And the third story is the RINs, uh, ethanol. It's uh, not sure what has been officially released yet, but I did see a uh, tweet from uh, Senator Cruz that it uh, sounds like they are going to um, reach a deal for RIN caps and um, some other deals with ethanol. Not exactly sure the you know the sausage that's been made here, but um, anything that I think would be negative to the RFS should be should be bearish for corn in the longer run. But right now, ethanol prices are doing well today, given the the surge in crude. And the uh, dollar index was uh, another step upwards today. Yeah, the dollar is has been strengthening, and in my opinion, I think it's a fade. I think this is an opportunity, uh, you know, to essentially get rid of dollars, buy other currencies. Um, you know, I would not be falling in love with the dollar. I think there, there's going to be reasons to deploy capital here. Uh, Warren Buffett was out yesterday talking about how he had a lot of cash on the sidelines looking to move into the market. So I don't think this dollar story is something I would be buying into. In fact, I think it'll be something that we'll look back on and say, why weren't we selling the dollar? We've seen some notes from Goldman and other uh, investment banks that are talking about uh, a surge in the real that's potentially coming here in the second half of the year. That would be very friendly for uh, corn and soybeans. Um, and then there's another kind of side event going on with Argentina. Their currency has collapsed, and they're having to bring the IMF in for loans, and that is creating a real negative factor on uh, on Argentina as far as you know costs and, and, and input costs down there. So they might see acreage stagnant even with the increased demand from China next year. So a lot of a lot of things going on here. I still look for corn to rally after the USDA report. Beans, I'm a little more sideways, and I think Casey Wheat has one more kick before it's done. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago. Go to danielzagmarketing.com. This is the Rural Radio Network.